Hello there, and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist, personal trainer, busy mom, and I live on a small hobby farm. I'm a former bodybuilder, and I currently have found a love for endurance sports. But I'm not your typical athlete. I believe there are many more contributors to athletic performance and overall health, and that we as a population might be doing it wrong. You won't see me pounding goose or chicken and rice, but you will see me in the pursuit to fuel not only athletic performance, but also balance it with optimal health. This is not just a podcast for athletes. Many people that fall into the health scene get there for a reason. I found myself in suboptimal states at multiple times in my life, and it has really sparked my passion for metabolic and systemic health. I am constantly a student of what I love, and now I hope to help others by bringing quality guests to the show to share their opinions and resources to hopefully help you formulate strategies to help you crack your health code. Well, here we are again. It's another Monday, time for another podcast. I'm super excited that you guys have tuned in again to another show. I'm very excited today because I have Lauren Conlin joining me on the podcast. Lauren is a wealth of knowledge and she's going to share a ton of her beliefs on the fitness industry. We touch on fitness in general and how the industry has gone. And then we start to talk about reverse dieting and why it is so important to do. So we kind of get into all of that. It's not just for competitors either. It is also for regular general population clients. Oftentimes, many people are dieting too long and they're overdoing it and they're actually down-regulating their metabolism and causing all sorts of problems. So Lauren and I dive into all things fitness in today's episode. I'm really excited for it. Before we get going with it, I just want to make a shout out to Patriot Supplements. It is our hometown supplement store. And guys, I got to tell you, the reason I love these guys so much is because they are so amazing in my community, in my hometown. They have an online store so you can support them as well. And they support so many local athletes in their endeavors. The owners are amazing. They are doing really good things. And I like to support people that I can stand behind that are not only out there as a business, they're a small town business. Let's not let Amazon take over. Let's support them. So head on over to PatriotSupplements.com for all of your supplement needs. They vet all of their supplements. They make sure they're carrying quality lines of supplements in their place. So go check them out. Make an order. I'm sure that they would appreciate any business that you give them. And let's support the hometown heroes. All right, guys. Before I get going too much more with any other things, here is Lauren Conlin. All right, Lauren, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Uh, you have so much great stuff out there. You're such an awesome human doing wonderful things with people. And I'm excited to have you here chatting with me today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. We uh trying to make this industry better, you know, so that's what, that's what we're doing. Well, and it's pretty muddy. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty muddy. And there's so much fake crap out there. I mean, I literally put a post on my, my social media the day is like, I'm not posting any more stuff. I know I'm not trying to keep up with all these people that are like, putting out other people's content and doing all this stuff. I'm worried about me learning and putting that forwarding that to my clients and I don't have the time to invest in in posting a bunch of random stuff anymore I'm sorry yeah there's a definitely a different way there's there's multiple ways to have an online business right and obviously a big way is to put out information online um, but then at some point as you continue down this road as a coach you realize okay there has to be a balance of like what I'm putting out versus what I'm giving to clients versus what I'm learning to then apply to clients, which is the most important, the most important thing. If you're a coach should be 
what you're doing with clients, not what you're posting. So whenever that gets out of balance, that's where it's like, all right, hold on. <laughs> if yep. a coach is putting more emphasis into that, that is in the long run, maybe in the beginning, you know, when you don't have as many clients, but once you've started to build up, the focus should certainly be clients. And then obviously education as well. I'm not saying you shouldn't educate people who are not your clients. Like that's, that's not the, the point. Um, but yeah, I totally know what you're saying. <laughs> I was like, Hey, I got a podcast. You want to learn some things, go over to that. And that's my favorite thing in the world. And you go learn there. Same. Yeah. We love, um, I've always loved podcasts. I'm a big talker and I'm just somebody who obviously loves like the nuance and the context, which is just absolutely nearly impossible to put on social media, especially like a, like a form, like Instagram, like it doesn't matter how how well you pack the information in there there's always going to be like a well but this like uh, I I know but I couldn't say that in the caption (laughs) so it's like okay this is where the podcast is just perfect because you really get to have a discussion and that's where I'm team long form as well and that was the best thing that we did was was starting our team podcast and just really putting a lot of emphasis there I love it. Well, so before we get rolling too far here, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, what got you into these things? Because it's quite the story. Yeah, they're like, who the hell is this shit blabbing about online coaches? So hi, my name is Lauren Conlon. I'm the owner of Team Local Fit. I have my bachelor's and master's in exercise science. But the biggest thing that I did in my master's was my research on weight loss and weight regain and how different types of dieting affect So that really, I would say, kind of kicked off my interest in what we focus on now, which is very heavily on the, you know, flexibility and understanding kind of your relationship with food and all these types of things and how to work that in with all different types of clients who are high level competitive athletes. And then we have, you know, people who are just looking to stop yo-yo dieting. So incorporating the principles that I learned in school and during my research, and then really being able to reflect on, okay how to coach people and how to communicate and all of that has been really where we've shifted our focus. Um, but how I got into this, I, uh, went to a bodybuilding show when I was 18 and I thought this is pretty rad. And I saw the figure division, which in 2010 figure was very much kind of like what bikini looks like now. (laughs) Um, but you know, essentially I looked at these chicks and I was like, damn, like, this is awesome. And I decided to start competing. So I got into this whole world. I did my first show when I was 19 and then I continued to train. I was always kind of like a meathead, like in the gym with the bros and then was also studying this and then started coaching in 2013. Yes, 2013. And so started coaching very, very small, did some in-person stuff, did some training, did some online things. As I transitioned to the master's and was doing my research, continued to compete, turned pro in the bikini division uh, as an IFB competitor. And then, like I said, did that research learned a ton. And then when I graduated, I took the business full-time here we are now. And it's a team of myself and three other coaches and yeah, just trying, like I said, trying to make this industry a better place, get, get some of the mud out, you know, just clean up the mud a little bit, like you said. (laughs) So did you ever think that you would be working with other coaches and bringing other people onto your team or? (laughs) No, I'll be honest. I, I really never had a and this is going to sound terrible and probably like not the advice that everybody would give you, but I didn't start this to think I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to do this full time. And I'm going to have the whole business. Like I never started with, I started with somebody who said, Hey, can you coach me? And I said, sure. Started coaching somebody. And then I started coaching another person and another person. And I kept the business very, very small because I was always in school. And I honestly, up until I graduated, I still did not know what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had a lot of obviously influence from, you know, people that I knew, and I knew a handful of very successful coaches, but the reality is there's a lot of people who try and do those things who it's like, you know, are you going to ever make it, right? Are, are you going to make it, air quotes? And, um, you know, obviously there's so many people, like, for example, who do personal training, right? And they want to do that. And it's, it's a very competitive industry, just like the online space is very competitive. And, you know, people were like, this is what you're going to do. And even I was like, I don't know, should I do this full time? Is this what I do? And uh, Dr. Campbell, my advisor was, was, really, really great to say, listen, you've been doing this part-time for years. Um, why don't you dedicate a certain amount of time to it to be full-time? And if it doesn't work out, I want to do this. You can always go to the other things that your degrees would allow you to do. I was like, all right, sounds like a pretty good plan. Let me try it. And then 
kind of fast forward, things just continued to grow. And then in 2018, I did, I was like, I, I'm, I'm never going to grow unless I can bring on other coaches because I will never work with too many people. Like that's just not the style of business that we have. Um, not like a coach mill. That's like not my goal at all. So I said, if I want to expand, I need to hire somebody. Um, and that's how it started. And I hired my first coach, Jillian, uh, in 2018, she actually moved down here. She was a client of mine. She moved down here to go to the same master's program that I did. And she had expressed interest in coaching. And I thought I, this, this is it. Like I have to, I have to do this. You know what I mean? Like I had been thinking about it, but I'm a very risk averse person, um, like very risk averse. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I was like, okay, all of the signs point to me doing that. You know what I mean? This, this should be the next thing. And it's been amazing. So that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I, I never thought that was never my plan. Never my intention. Yeah. And how do you, that's a, that's one thing I've thought of. Cause I know like Jason Theobald has multiple coaches working under him. There's lots of places that do that. And I'm always like, how do you vet this and make sure that your mission aligns with their mission and that mm-hmm. the thing that everything aligns, because that would be so hard. Yes. And as somebody who, you know, when it's, when you've started it from the ground up, you know, all the, the work that you've put in and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't imagine somebody coming in here and, and not being on the same page as me. Right. And and at least for me, I'm very like type A, very neurotic, very like, I want to do everything myself. I can do it best. That's the kind of way that I've always thought about stuff. So when you bring somebody on, that's very scary. Like, oh, this isn't going to be exactly how I want it, et cetera, et cetera. Part of that is, okay, that's ego. I'm not the best person. Like, I'm not the only person who can do this, right? Um, if I am actually as skilled as I think that I am, I can certainly coach somebody to be as good of a coach or hopefully better than me. Um, and picking the right people, of course, is, is very important. You can't just pick anybody. Um, but the right person with the right baseline of skill sets, you can teach them um, to be, again, hopefully better than you um, on the road. And so for me, it was, I thought, okay, how, how, do, I, how do I find somebody who's going who's gonna to be a good fit? Um, so for me, this is not the only way to do it, certainly, but it's been people who have been clients of mine have all now turned into coaches. So really nice transition because they already knew the system. They knew what the team about. Um, and when I brought the coaches on, it was like, all right, do you a lot of these types of things? Here's what I see moving forward. Um, and that's how it's kind of worked out. So that's not to say that you can't hire somebody as a coach who's never worked with you. Like that, I know plenty of people who do that. Um, but the way that it's worked out for me uh, and our, our company is that that's just how it's, how it's gone. And um, it's certainly very scary. And it's really scary when you're giving up that kind of control. And if you're somebody who likes having control over things, which if you're a business owner, you probably do. <laughs> um, like it's just, it's just how it's going to work. It can be challenging, but you have to step back and say, okay, what is it that I like, of course you as a coach are an individual and you're going to have your own style and your own way of communicating. And like, obviously like nobody can replace you in like the literal sense. Um, but if you have a mission that you think can create a good in the industry and you're at a place where it might make sense to have another coach, you can take the time to teach them to be a really good coach. Um, I'm not going to say that it's going to happen overnight and they're not going to be an exact clone of you, nor should they be. Um, but it certainly, that requires a, a different skill set, like teaching how to do that. Um, and that required a lot of me taking a step back and saying, okay, I need to be able to support the coaches um, for the next several years until they're kind of built up to that place. So I love that. It's, it's a lot. And it's like, I know I've noticed I'm in this we- very weird place in my own career where I collaborate with a lot of big professionals and it's becoming more and more a thing. I don't know what I'm going to end up with in the end. I keep telling my husband, I'm planting all these seeds. I hope this garden doesn't get too big and I can't take care of it. But um, like other doctors and professionals in the industry, because we've all, we're like, okay, listen, we don't know it all. Uh, nor can we, any one individual retain all this thing. But if we collectively work together and we bounce our clients between each other, then. Yeah. And that could be what yeah. you do too. Yeah. You know, maybe you don't hire another coach, maybe. And again, anybody listening, it's not just like we're having this conversation. Anybody who's listening, who's like maybe in this struggle, right? Like, should I bring people onto my team? Should I just keep it to me, but like have a really big network? neither is right or wrong, you know, and if you create a network to have people there, again, there's certainly people like certainly situations where I'm like, I am not the person for this. You know what I mean? 
but it is really great to have somebody like who is that person right or to at least know that um so maybe that's what other business owners or, or you do who are listening like okay maybe I don't want to have other coaches but maybe I create a network and then everybody kind of has a piece that way um and we can build and again that's just gonna, that's gonna come back to the same thing though does everybody have the same like mission does everybody have the same values everybody have, so all of those issues are going to come up but that's leadership and communication really shine. I love it. Well, we kind of dove off into a rabbit hole, but I always love hearing other people's ways because it's so interesting. It's just so interesting and to understand other people's take on things. Yeah. And there's, there's a hundred and one thousand ways to do things, especially in this space. Um, and ultimately it comes back to, okay, how can I help clients the most with the skill sets that I have and how that looks one business owner is going to be very different than the next person. Um, and you can certainly look at other people as far as like a model um, to model your behavior and to model your business, but it's okay to do things differently. It's just because I said, Hey, I've known like people who've been my coaches and is that like the standard? No. Will there be a time where I probably hire somebody who hasn't been a client possibly um but for right now that's worked and but other people have very successful businesses who have never done that right so it's like there's a million ways and sometimes it's like you keep it just yourself and you collaborate have a network all different all different ways it's so awesome well so the reason i approached you today though is um because you kind of dive into the mindset aspect of this a lot more and then also you're helping a lot of people that have a history of chronic dieting and that, that sometimes things, and I, and I'm sure like for me, especially, I'm sure you come across this as well, but some things are not straightforward when it comes to dealing with people that have been chronically dieting their whole life and over exercising and eat less and move more type of mentality. And that's kind of where the fitness industry has gotten a little bit crazy. And also the image people have in their head of what's sustainable and what's not, it's also another big portion of that. But I'm hoping today you can kind of walk us through a little bit of what this looks like, because it's really hard when we as coaches have to tell clients Hey, we might have to take a step back before we can move forward. That's not that, that loses me more clients than a lot of because they don't want to hear that. They want that instant fix, but, but in the long run, it's the long-term stuff that takes you longer, typically that gets you where you need to be in, in a more sustainable place. So I'm hoping today we can dive into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I would say that most, most people who come to us for coaching and probably a lot of people who are listening, who are in this position are going to have a long dieting history. I work with predominantly females. That's what our team works with. Not all, we have a lot of male clients who we love, um, but there is a large you know, presence of, of female clients. Obviously we're all female team. <laughs> so I would say that most women are gonna come with some type of dieting history, whether that was you know, when they were teenagers or adolescents, or they've done competition after competition after competition or they've just yo-yo dieted for 20 years right like there's a there's a that affects a lot of different people in a lot of different ways and the very traditional like approaches like oh add food here take food here add cardio here drop cardio here. it's a lot more nuanced than that because there's typically a lot of mental and like emotional issues with food as well um and not just food but also the behaviors that people are displaying um, on a daily basis that is literally setting them up for failure. And like you alluded to the idea of like, Hey, it's going to take longer or here's the long-term approach. I would say that that's typically the biggest sticking point that we have with people. Um, because they're no, I want this now. And it's like, all right, well, I'm not going to be the person that does that because this hasn't worked the last six times you've done it. So if somebody else wants to take your money for a three month program, that's fine, but we're not going to. Um, and it's, it's hard because you want to help people. Um, but unfortunately that is not the solution. So there's been this very interesting shift as there's always shifts in the industry, right? Because when one thing gets extreme, then it gets extreme the other way. And when I was in my grad school program, which is when I was doing this research, it was very much the shift from like, you're an idiot if you eat off of a meal plan to like, let's be flexible with flexible dieting as possible, right? Like that was like the big swing. And it was like, okay, like I was on that wave of like, okay, well, scientists do science things and, you know, uh, tracking macros is more scientific. So like, let's, you know, people who are, who are drawn to that are going to be, have a certain mindset. 
And then I started also looking into all the food psychology research of like understanding, um, you know, flexible versus rigid dieting restraint models and all these things. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Flexible dieting, flexible restraint. And it's not. So, so in, again, that time period, there's like this huge shift, right? And then I learned over time, okay, just because you were tracking macros doesn't mean that you're actually eating flexible. You have a flexible mindset around the food that you're eating at all. And then now, so now I've been able to coach people through that. And, you know, we focus a lot of our energy there, which is really, really awesome because that's creating, again, these sustainable habits. This new swing that I've been seeing <laughs> is the like, well, uh, weight loss, diets don't work because the methods don't work. So let's just not diet at all. And like, let's do like, let's not track anything at all. And you're like, whoa, that's not helpful either for certain people. You know what I mean? It's helpful mindset for people who have a ton of knowledge in the area and they're able to say, you know what? I don't need to do this. I can go to this side, but somebody who's just starting or somebody who's had, you know, six, seven, eight failed attempts of a diet is not going to understand how to apply that properly, which is why they're in the situation. So we always see these huge swings in the industry and it's about figuring out, okay, what is actually going to get this person forward? Not just for the next three months, not, or even the next week, but what's going to help them for the long term. And that's what, if you're a coach who's listening, or even if you're a client who's listening, or some, like a potential client who's listening, you have to think about, okay, where could I be in a year versus where could I be next week, next month, next three months? Because ultimately, if you keep thinking in that kind of short-term behavior, you're only going to have the short-term results. And then you're always going to be back to square one. And unfortunately, most people aren't just back to square one. They're like, plus three, right? Like they're just, they're, they're backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with all that. And that, that's like another big buzzword right now is like intuitive eating. Right. And it's like, well, have, how's been, I mean, you've been intuitively eating probably already, or people don't think of the, the physiological, uh, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but there's reasons we crave certain things too, for sometimes and some places. And like, so there's also this physiological, thing. Like if you're craving something, it may not be an intuitive type deal. It might be because of a blood sugar swing or, uh, you know, some people are saying now that gut bacteria dictates some cravings, things like that. So there's, there's a lot of stuff there that, that you could be brought into the intuitive eating scene as well. Yes. There, there's a lot of knowledge that, go, that needs to go in place before you can consistently intuitively eat. And I'm all about that. We teach, we have a very big emphasis on clients having food flexibility, having untracked meals, untracked days, sometimes even just, they're just, they're not tracking macros at all. They're tracking other habits and other things. Um, and there's a wide range of clients, like I said, that we work with. So it's going to depend on where that person is kind of in their journey today. Um, but it's never like, yeah, you, you're, you know, you're trying to figure this out let's just eat whatever you want. That is not a solution. That is a, that is setting somebody up for failure. You're not giving them any of the right habits. Now it's not saying that if somebody's coming to you, you have to immediately put them on a super strict macro tracking plan. That's how I used to think. And that's not proper. It's not the proper way to think. Um, there's a lot of other nuance that people can have before that. And there's a lot of other things, other steps people can take where they can build that confidence and that competence before you even get there. Um, but again, different rabbit hole. So the whole point is to say there's a lot of different ways to do things, but the way to attack it is not to just say like, yeah, like you're confused on what to eat, whatever you want. That is not useful for people because like, well, I want to, I want to get healthier, but I got, I'm going to eat the same thing. And I understand it came from a good place. It came from a place of diets were overly strict, um, pushing the one model look of like very very skinny thin person um you know possibly unhealthy possibly really restrictive possibly under eating calories for too long like I totally get all of that and understanding that you don't have to be so rigid and like live or like live off of my fitness pal forever is something that we embody as a company I'm fully supportive of that but again the idea of being able to intuitively eat and still have these like have health in check and have performance on point and have your body composition in a healthy place that takes a lot of education to get there and just telling people that they should eat what they want is not not useful so as always it's just another dramatic swing it came from a good place 
And it just kind of, you know, the tracking macro said it came from a good place. Oh, this meal plan is overly rich. Why don't we just make these food substitutions? Why can't I do that? And then it became like egg whites and pop tarts. You're like, whoa, when did this, you know, and most people were not doing that, but there were certainly a subset of people who were, right? So the whole idea of these swings in the industry is very frustrating. Um, but back to your point, which is why I even got on this tangent, was educating clients on, okay, the long-term vision and bringing that up right away like here's where i see you obviously in the next few months like that's what we're going to be working towards but here's the bigger goal and here's why it's going to take so so i like all that now let's kind of go to that place now um so i'm sure with a lot of especially these female clients that have been on the diet roller coaster I know, at least for me, on a lot of these people, there is a place where it has to start out being rigid because unfortunately, you're going back and having to fix the years of damage that's been done. And so a lot of people um, are very like, no, you don't have to restrict in order to lose weight. And you don't, but at, at one point, I feel like at one point in the process, there has to be a phase that, that is restrictive and where you are bringing it all together to get to your baseline, to where you can start making those changes down the road. For sure. So I would say that that, that would be categorized under just general restraint, right? At some point you're going to have to restrain certain things that you're eating within that though. And when I talk about like the rigid versus flexible, you can still have a flexible mindset and a flexible restraint. doesn't mean that you're just kind of willy nilly, like doing whatever it's more about the idea that like you can adjustments or like you can you know you're not as impulsive you're not as black and white you're a little bit more modern with how you view things and you're able to recover and have a little bit more resiliency from things that come up because life comes up and you know the whole point of not being super rigid with your restraint is saying okay well I have this event that's coming up um I can either not eat all day and then plan to overeat then or I overeat the next day or now I'm just like mentally a whole basket case or just say okay let me moderate my intake earlier and then I'm going to plan for about this much when I go out to set event that's where it's more of like the the mindset of the flexible versus rigid restraint but there's still always restraint being displayed and that's the thing where people will take it again really really far when you say the word flexible people go oh okay so I just do what I want there's still restraint. You still make a choice and every choice that you make has a consequence, good and bad. So we always have to kind of balance those things out. Um, It's just a little bit, it's focusing less on the rigidity of like the not being able to adjust versus that having that flexibility and that moderation, which is a skill in and of itself. And sometimes when people are starting, you have to be a little bit stricter with things. Um, You have to say, hey, you know, where, where do you really struggle is if you have a soda, are you now going to have five? Well, maybe right now we're not going to have any. And then at some point later on, you might be able to have one, but right now that's, that's an issue. Now, are there certain clients where I could be like, Hey, have a soda every once in a while. They're like, yeah, no problem. Some clients that's what sets them off. Right. So it's kind of one of those things that that's where it depends on where the client is, what their, their level of knowledge is, and also just where they're at currently, because there's some people who have a lot of advanced like skills, or they've been doing this for a long time, but for whatever reason, like life just keeps hitting them and everything is just very, very off. So it's like, all right, we need to come back and simplify this, take, take away a lot of the thinking, make, here's some easier things to follow. Um, here's let's do this. Let's not do this. And then we can move forward. So that's really that kind of art of coaching comes in, but yes, totally agree. There are certainly times where you have to have more restraint others um and especially when somebody is first starting to it can be it's very complicated to just be like yeah just do whatever you know it can unless they're a very advanced client who kind of already needs to work on that end um if they're just starting out it's it's hard as a coach to then learn their body when there's too much variation so it's let's reel this in for now and then later on we can we can add more of that in did I clear up the the rigid and restraint a little more yeah, totally. And I, and I also want to add a little other piece here and maybe you can add on to it, but I think where, where, uh, people get locked up and where things blow their mind basically is they think of things like the last summer. It's that like, we're going to start the diet mentality on Monday. So this weekend we're going to eat as much crap as humanly possible before we start this diet. And so they get hung up in their head on 
this is the last supper or this is the last time I can have a donut. It's not a temporary thing in their brain. They're almost in their mind. It's going to be the last thing that they've ever had. And because of that, they, they develop almost this eating disorder mentality, or it is an eating disorder mentality where they're like, then when they do get a free meal, they, they put as much in their mouth as they can. And they go out and they, cause it's like, oh, this is my my only thing this week. So I better cram it in. And they end up erasing a lot of their progress. Yeah. And that's literally the rigid restraint defined. Like that is black intuity. Um, and that is what is so hard to overcome. And a lot of people are in that situation to where they're either like I'm on or I'm totally off and there's no dimmer involved. It is just off and on and that's it. And that's really what, as a coach, if you want clients to have long-term results, you have to be able to work out of that. And not to say that it's going to be perfect right away. People are going to make mistakes. And, and even if they, like, even people who've, who've kind of nailed it, like there's times where it's just, you know, things happen. Um, but we have to be able to balance that out because it's not normal to do that, nor do we want people to do that for the rest of their life. Um, it's not normal to say, hey, I can't, I can never eat out because I don't know what's in this. And it's also not normal to say, oh, there's a wedding this weekend. Guess I'll just eat for three days. Like neither of their responses are normal. So we need to kind of work to that middle ground and know, okay, when maybe I have a fat loss goal, I need to be a little bit tighter, have a little bit more restraint. And then when I'm in a place where I'm maintaining and I have a vacation coming up or something, okay, I can display a little bit more flexibility here because I'm in a position where I can do this. So it's about working through those things. And that is the work that takes a long time. And it's not very rewarding until you're on the other side of it. <laughs> um, it's very rewarding for people to track their food meticulously. It's very rewarding for people to track their workouts perfectly, to see the scale going down, to see measures change. It's very rewarding. It's not rewarding to say, let's take the next months to work on your relationship with food um, and to slowly add these meals in. And during that process, it's very, very hard for clients to want to stick to it, right? Because why would I want? But then when they're on the other side, it is so amazing. It's like, wait, I went on this vacation. I didn't gain 10 pounds or like work function came up and I ate and I, I ate till I was full and then I, I didn't finish it. Or I was able to go on a date night with my significant other and, and I didn't have any compensatory behaviors or have any food guilt. That's what we want to see. And during that process for my clients, that is possible. doesn't feel possible right now, but it is possible. We have to get through those really, really hard weeks. And the longer been in that very rigid mindset, the harder it's going to be to get out of it, but it's still possible. I've, I've, I've yet to work with somebody. Sorry, I'll take that back. There has been a few cases where people just want to go there, but that is simply because they don't give up that control. Um, and at some point, you know, that's a decision that they have to make. Um, so I would say that most people who are willing to do it, um, uh, and they see those benefits, they, they will get there. Um, it'll just take a little bit extra time. So let's talk about the psychological piece then a little bit. What are some of the tools that you use in order to help people with this psychological aspect of it? Because that's the biggest part. Yes. Uh, hands down, the most important part here is understanding how to build those habits. So one of the first things too, is to really make it clear, what are the goals that we're trying to work towards, right? If you're telling me, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I see my life. Um, all right. We have to remind, we have to continuously remind a client when they're in that kind of struggle, this is what we're working towards, right? And it doesn't matter what the goal is. It's always, okay we're over here and we're trying to get here. There's going to be a lot of hardships in between. So we're laying everything back to that. So that's number one. So that has to be very, very clear. I'm trying to finally like develop a great relationship with food. I want to get to a place where I maintain my body comp without tracking. I want to step on stage in the show, whatever it is, we have to always keep that in mind during the hard process. One thing that we work a lot with, a lot on with clients, <laughs> a lot on with clients is shifting their stress perception. So this is some research that I've become like obsessed with. Um, it's basically looking at, it's, it's very much like the, the rigid versus flexible restraint. This is just different ways of looking at stress perception. So there's the idea that stress is debilitating or that stress is a challenge and literally how we look, stre it's stress is stress, but how we look at it changes the same with restraint. 
flexible or rigid, two totally different pathways. Um, and they've even done research where literally there's different hormones secreted when you're looking at stress as more of this like debilitating thing versus challenging. Um, it's, it's insane. Um, but overall, people often think, oh, I'm really stressed out. And then that's what, what ends up happening is like things just crumble when they're, when they're very anxious, they're very stressed, they're very worried. Because again, we're working with people who have like, you know, full careers, full families, full lives. Like, it's not like everybody's just sitting around like, oh, what can I eat today? Oh, I'll just make whatever I want. And like, these people are very busy, you know what I mean? So it's about, okay, how can we shift this perception and look at the things that are hard as challenges and being able to not be so overwhelmed and debilitated by them. So a book that I recommend all the time, probably on like every podcast I talk about, it's called The Upside of Stress. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, it's by Kelly McGonigal. She's a researcher out in Stanford. She's incredible. And the book basically goes through a lot of this. It's fully cited scientifically, and it's not like a fluff book. A lot of the a lot of the uh, psych stuff can be too fluffy. Like, just how do you feel? It's not like that at all. It's very straightforward. It's very, it's very awesome. Um, so managing stress perception and really getting back to that more like looking at things as a challenge versus debilitating is a huge thing that we do. Um, and then lastly, one of the really important things, and this is something that has evolved for me as a coach over time, was when, you know, th there was like the bad coach model, which was like, you had a plant and the client didn't follow it. And then you scolded them. You said like, oh, you're a loser. Or like, you should have planned better. Like, why didn't you stick to it? And that was like, oh, don't want to be that coach. So it's going to be like, like, totally understand things happen. Let's get back on plan and we'll keep moving forward. And that is what I did for a long time, because that is a better response to this. But taking it a step further is also going, okay, so you, you didn't just fall off plan once, right? Like it did happen. Okay. Like, you know, shit happens. It was a holiday weekend or you went on the trip or, or something came up, right? We can clearly pinpoint it, but if it's a behavior and it's a pattern, which is typically what it is, it's not enough to say, just get back on track. We'll figure it out. No, 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 no. Why did it happen? And we need to go back to that period. Okay. What happened before? What did you do or what did you not do before that set you up? in this position and what happened afterwards. So how can we halt or change the behaviors beforehand so that we don't even get there? And then if we do get there, what are we gonna do right afterwards and not exacerbate the problem? So it's not enough to just say, let's just get back on track. We need to figure out everything that happened before and also how to address it afterwards. So those would be the three main things that we would do um, and it's not like every week this is happening, you know, people are probably like, oh my God, this sounds so stressful. Um, you know, a lot of weeks it's just like, hey, things are pretty normal, but this is the type of work that needs to be done because if you don't address that, clients are never going to change their bad behaviors. And we all have them. It's, we all have them. I have them, you have, we all have them. Um, and it's about actually confronting them and saying, okay, why do I keep getting here? How can I get out of this effectively? I love all of that so much. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I always find myself in that same place you were describing where it's like, okay, I'm not going to scold you. Obviously you're trying here, but I feel like sometimes I'm a little too uh, soft too, when it comes to some of those things. And I'd be like, no, okay. So what happened here? You know, we need to talk about this. This can't keep going on. Yeah. And it, it, again, coaching is, is a lot, is very, is science and art together. So part of the art is understanding how your clients respond to different communications. There are some people who I could say, go eat this couch and that's what you need to do. And they'd be like, okay. And would never say a word about it again. Like, got it. Roger that. You can eat the couch. And there's other people who, you know, not <laughs> do that, but like, you know, like you could tell them anything, they'll listen, they're on track, going to execute on it. So typically with those clients, you can be a little bit more straightforward, a little bit harsher, a little bit like, here's the deal. Um, other clients, it's going to need to be a little bit of a softer approach, a little bit more of a roundabout, a little bit more of a positive uplifting experience for them. And neither is right or wrong. It's just the type of, it's the way that they communicate better. Um, and that's where as a coach, you have to learn how to ask the right questions and get the right information out of people. And you need to be able to kind of read between those lines to figure out how is this person going to respond? Also, part of it is you could answer one way and if they just don't get it, okay, that that didn't go through, pro that didn't process properly. How do I need to adjust my approach? Um, some clients are very good at typing. Um, some clients are good at getting getting everything out. Um, some clients do better if, if like you're kind of like hitting a sticking point. 
okay, like, let's just get on a call, like what's going on. And then they can explain it to you in three seconds, but they couldn't type it well. Right. And then vice versa. So there, that's kind of, again, where that art comes in and understand, okay, how is this person, how do I communicate with this person? And, you know, not just be a dick, but also not be too soft and balance that. (laughs) One of my clients, I'll never forget. She was like, (laughs) she's like, you're like our tofu. She's like, you're, you're firm on the outside, but you're soft on the inside. It's like the perfect blend. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm glad I'm your tofu. Like, I appreciate it. Um, hopefully that's, that's a positive. In this case, it was. So um, it's about kind of finding that balance for everybody. And like I said, some people are, and you might have a client who like, you're always pretty tough on, but you know, maybe life has like really been kicking them down lately. And you need to adjust your approach. And then likewise, sometimes if there's a client who typically you take a more like roundabout approach with, sometimes you need to hear it. Hey, here's, here, here's what's going on. Here's what we need to do. And oftentimes that happens when a client is not able to stick to the plan. It's not, it's just because they, you know, they're, they're, they're really struggling. They want to do a hundred things and they, they want to do all these things at once. And it's like, listen, what are we going to do? to get you to your goal. How is this going to help? Or how is this going to hurt you? And we have to get very, very clear and very honest about that. And that's just kind of a guiding principle that, you know, honesty is best policy, but really, especially in a coding scenario, it is. I, so I like that. And you also said something back there that kind of sparked something with me. And that was, um, with competition, you know, I find that more and more people are approaching me about doing a competition, but it's more used as a diet than actual, I want to be a competitor. So I feel like there's, we've got, yeah, exactly. Uh, We've got more of this stuff going on every day, especially with how popular it's gotten on social media. And you've got the Facebook competitor groups, which one of my clients recently put me back in one of those. She's like, oh, I want you to go in this group. And I, I did. And then all the information, I was like, I got to get out of here. I can't handle oh, this. God. I can't eat. I don't even know. I don't even know if I want to see that part of me wants to, because then I want to see like, what's still going on. Oh, it's but bad. Part of me is like, no, it's not good for my cortisol levels. <laughs> I got to get out of there. Yeah. So, so stressed. Facebook's just awful. I can't stand something less than Facebook. So let's just, uh, Twitter, Twitter's up there, but, uh, Facebook is probably the worst in my opinion. Oh. Uh, as far as the misinformation with like, the, cause you can just create groups and then it just draws, just draws in more bad information. But, um, we, we actually talk a lot about this as well. So I'm somebody who, as I talked about in the beginning, I did for like eight years, um, competed as an amateur and a professional did the whole thing has, have coached a lot of people for many years who compete and I you know I think that the the world of competitive bodybuilding is absolutely incredible there are so many positives that you can gain from it um, but there are also a lot of realities that people need to be prepared for when they're doing a show and that is not talked about enough the only two things that are talked about are how great show day is or oh competing fuck my life up we need to have some kind of just honest middle ground because certainly competing can fuck your life up but was that your approach was that your mindset what what was it right competing will chew you up and spit you out if you're not ready um being at stage lean body fat levels is especially for women is incredibly challenging on your body and then you add in the psychological aspect of literally you are standing in front of strangers in a bikini and asking to be judged on your appearance and if you are not prepared for what that will feel like afterwards if you don't win you are in for a very, very awful time. So it's not about demonizing competing. It's about simply having full understanding of what it's going to be like. Um, I just had a, uh, you know, when new clients, hey, I'm thinking about doing a show. Great, okay. Um, Let's think about like a year, the next year. It's like, whoa, what? At least three months before to kind of get, you know, get in a good groove. At least six months to prep. And at least three months afterwards, which is like bare minimum, you know what I mean? Like that's bare minimum. And if you're not ready to commit to that, then you're certainly not ready to get stage thing. You're just not. So I don't discourage people from competing, but I just want them to understand 
what is involved and are you doing it like you said for a diet um let's do a photo shoot book an expensive photo shoot get some crazy outfits that you want to wear let's do that I we have so many clients who do that who are like listen I just I have these like their lifestyle clients are like these goals I have these physique goals and I'm like let's do photo shoots like let's do something fun um and we can have that as a goal but you don't need to get to that last little bit of the stage lean physiologically that's a whole nightmare that we don't need to get to for just for funsies and also again getting ready for stage and it's not even just that it's also like okay I can I could diet anybody to get on stage anybody just anybody on the street okay diet that doesn't mean that you're going to look competitive either. So that's also what you need to think. Am I doing this to be a competitive athlete? Or am I doing this because I want to just check it off my bucket list because I'm turning 40? Totally different conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think another trap that people get stuck in with when it comes to competing is they're like, oh, I'm going to hire a coach. That coach is going to cost me X amount of dollars. And then the problem with that is, is they figure in, oh, everybody like Facebook groups say it's 16 weeks. Well, that's, uh, that's how much I got to spend then. And then they're like, they don't think of like the process involved. And then the post-show process, like this is not just a 16 week deal. Like you said, like there's a lot of metabolic adaptations and things that happen that need to be addressed properly post-show. And that is the most important time to be paying your, your coach, not before the show. Yes. Before is obviously to make sure that we're in the best place possible um, as far as hormonally, metabolically, uh, mentally, your relationship with food, all of that needs to be in check. And then also seeing how, you know, you and the coach communicate. That's really important too before. Like if you just start, like I'll take on clients who I've worked with before to start a prep because I've worked with them. Um, But typically if if I don't know somebody coming say, hey, I want to do a contest prep, I I don't know how we're going to, you know, need to kind of develop that rapport. So then when I I do have a better understanding of you when you are sending your check-ins during your prep, right? So before is important for those reasons. Um, obviously, is pretty obvious, but I would say that most people have a very like idyllic vision of like how quickly they're going to get stage lean. And unless you're trying to blow your face off with a ton of drugs and a ton of cardio, good luck doing that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not very realistic. So again, I kind of just say, hey, give it six months. If you're ready early awesome. If you're not, we'll keep going, but that is going to be a lot more realistic for most people. Um, and so there's that. And then because, you know, most people see that the genetic elite get ready in eight weeks. They're like, Oh, I can do that. Well, that person's also third at the Olympia. I'm just throwing out numbers. It's not to target anybody, but this person got, you know, top five at the Olympia and they've been competing for five years. They have a very different background than your first show. You know what I mean? So we need to give a lot more time. And to be honest, most people don't have enough muscle. They think they have muscle. They don't have enough muscle. You know what I mean? So that's also going to be a challenge when we're dieting somebody. It's just trying to strip weight off of them. And then they're like this frail, like, you know, like, if you get lean enough, you'll look muscular, but at some point you just have to have muscles to look muscular, <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. that too. And yeah, afterwards is a whole, whole can of worms, whole can of worms. If anybody's ever had a very big goal that they've gone after and then it's stopped, it's over. Ooh, that come down is intense. Um, I mean, very intense. And again, if you're not prepared for that coupled with however the placings happen to go, on top of physiologically, your body's like, what the fuck is going on right now? It's a lot. It's a lot to handle. <laughs> yeah. And then how about this? How about the people that get stuck with the competition diet? Cause then post-show they gain weight. They think they've gotten so used to looking at this shredded physique. And then they're like, oh, I'm fat. I need to do another show. That's the only thing that worked to get me to where I'm at. And then I just, I mean, I see it with local competitors all the time. I go to bodybuilding shows and time after time, I see these same people. They compete over and over and over and over again. And it's totally, what, when does this end? When do you fix this? Because you can't do this forever. This is not a forever sport. When does this stop and you get your shit together? I know it's, it's, Sad. Um, and again, this, this plays very heavily into the psychological aspect of it, but people end up, it becomes their identity and it becomes their world and it becomes what they can rely on. Um, and I've always said this, there's a lot of positives to prep, you know, it really kind of strips away the excess in your life. You start to realize like 
what you're made of, like what you're capable of, how far you can push yourself. So there's a lot of good there. But when you when you only know how to operate, when like your back's against the wall and you're hanging off a cliff, you aren't able to really handle the rest of life. And then you get stuck thinking that, oh, prep is the solution. When in reality, that's not the solution. And that could be creating other distances, other places. Um, so that's typically what we see. And, and if you do want to be a long-term, if you want to have a competitive career, taking time between shows is how you have a competitive career. If you want to be competing for a long time, that's really what you want. You got to do that. Now, there's certainly a time push if, you know, obviously it is a judged sport in front of people who recognize you and things of that nature. So there is something to be said about doing shows in a row. And if you're on a hot streak, you got to keep pushing. And that's the aspect side of it, right? Like, sometimes like there's like the the coach brain that's like all right I know what's best for you as a coach and then there's also the athlete brain that I know okay like we have to push here right so but again as the coach I have to say hey if we're going to push this is the side effects that we're going to have afterwards if you're if you're okay with that let's do it and then people make that decision on their own so sometimes yeah you have to push but as a general whole (laughs) you're going to have to take time off and you can't just push year after year after year and trust me I did it at some point your body says no (laughs) Yeah. And coming back from that too, can always be a little bit tricky as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly, um, so it's good time. (laughs) So since we're down there, like, how do you find balance, you know, after post-show, because at one point you're not going to compete forever. And I know this is a funny thing. Like now that I have clients and shows and things like that, I go to these shows and I'm like, Oh, I want to, I need to get up there. You know, like it's like, it's a real thing when, and I'm like, now nah, why the heck would I do something like that? I'm in a perfect place right now in my life. Like, why would I, I mean, because there it's, it's literally, it's literally a transaction. Like when you do that, you have so much work to do in order to come back from it, that it's, it's really like, it's like, dude, is this really worth going to this place for this? You know? Mm-hmm. And so so how, what are your thoughts on that? I guess. Yeah. I mean, you have to, again, that, that comes with like the full understanding of what's going to happen afterwards. And, and it's not just about, can you get lean? It's about how are we going to get out of this? Right. And that's, you've alluded to definitely the hardest part. I mean, hands down, I, I think that every, I mean, I, people ask me all the time, are you going to compete again? And it's not about competing. It's that would be the roughly easy part. It would be about afterwards you know what I mean I don't know if I want to go through all of that again because I've gone through it a hundred times and I'm finally at a place where I'm like kind of stable do I want to be unstable again for another year it's a reality you know what I mean it doesn't just come back on and now there's going to be genetic variation there are some people who are naturally very lean clients I work with that are naturally very lean typically have an easier time because why it's they have to lose less body fat and they're moving moving farther from their settling point versus people like myself and even I wouldn't even consider myself super out of the range but like I'm somebody who loses 30 pounds age that's not a fluctuation I mean that's a big change and that's not because I'm a total slob in the off season it's just because this is where my body settles and this is what I have to look like to compete they're not they're not super similar you always hear the 10 pounds of stage weight okay well maybe if you're 410 you know what I mean or again that's that's your body type but for me this 10 pounds is, is a, is a week after the show, you know, just the, you know, so anyways, having an understanding of, all right, this is going to be a challenge afterwards. And guess what? If it's easier than you expected, awesome. I'm so thrilled if it's an easy transition, but for a lot of people, it's not going to be. And I would say that this starts before the prep, because if you don't have the right habits, before you, you start with my habits, say you started at hundred percent, you're at hundred percent. You're going to chip your way down. And, and as an arbitrary set of numbers, let's say you chip from hundred to 70, right? You're going to be food focused. You're going to be, you know, your relationship with food is a little bit strange. You're going to be thinking, Oh, what cookies should I eat after? Like, it's going to happen. No matter how great your relationship with food is, you're going to be thinking about that. But if we're starting at 170, we don't really have to go that far back. You know, like we're, we're still in a good spot. We can regain that. If you're starting at like 60, 
like shit's going to get real hairy at the end of your prep. You know what I mean? And that's when we're going to be really digging ourselves, not just trying to get back to that 60 baseline, but then get like above that because that's not even really either. So I like giving numbers because it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like a representation. People can kind of see what I'm talking about. So you only prep a certain amount of habits and you're going to drain those as you can prep. You're never really going to build any kind of positive when it comes to relationship with food um, and how you're viewed. Like, that's not going to get any better as you're prepping <laughs> um, because that's all body fat mediated. As your body fat gets below a certain point, things kind of go out. But we're trying to maintain them as much as we can. Um, but that all starts beforehand. So if you started with a better kind of baseline, you're going to be able to get through prep easier and I say easier in a not a just direct way it's always hard but it's going to be a better time afterwards um, because we haven't swung so far into the abyss <laughs> we're still we can see it but we're not in it you know what I mean um, and we want to just kind of keep that at an arm's length like all right certain days I'm certainly in it but for the most part we're, we're kind of far farther from it so I would say that all of that starts before you even start dieting. If you have a shit relationship with food or you're really, really struggling and you're very up and down and you're not consistent and you think that dieting for a competition is going to fix that, it's going to make it a hundred times worse afterwards. It's going to be better during the diet. Because I mean, let's be honest, like you, you have this goal, you got to get up there. Um, so you're going to do it, but afterwards you're going to feel even worse. And then that's not even to take into all the consideration of, like you mentioned, metabolic side effects, um, any kind of hormonal disruption, and just, you know, how your body is now reacting to things. It can just be a very, very different process. And everybody always wants to know how long am I going to, how long till I feel normal? You know, everybody says, I want to feel normal again. And that process is very different for everybody. Right. And like I said, if you're somebody who naturally is a little bit leaner, um, and we're, we're not really having these big fluctuations, it's, it's going to be a little bit better. If you're somebody who started off with a great relationship with food, we're going to be able to get back a lot easier. Um, but even those people, I would say if you've had the best prep and things are awesome, still 12 weeks, like, I mean, maybe, maybe eight, if somebody's in an awesome spot, but I would say that that's like, that's the bare minimum to start feeling like normal again. And for a lot of people, it's going to take a little bit more time than that. Um, and that's okay. You know, some people who I worked with who were like, man, I did a show and like six months later and I feel like I should be like regulated. And why is this? And it's like, you know, there's a lot of factors involved. Mm -hmm. And for some people it takes longer than others and that's okay. But yeah. you have to be prepared for that and not expect two weeks after the show, my life is normal again. <laughs> No, that's not quite how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, that would be pretty, pretty cool, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for myself, it's between this last set, it was probably two years before I started actually feeling great, you know, like, uh, and feeling like I was stabilized and my yeah. food didn't have to be crazy and things. And I'm probably more in the body type like you, or I lose 30 pounds to do shows. I, and when I, one season I cruised a little bit leaner and watched my food like meticulously and all these things. And I remember feeling like crap that whole season. And that's because my body feels happy at a certain weight. And I'm sure you have gotten this from, or you probably have a place where optimally you feel the best. And yes. sometimes the, the look that you think should feel with the best is not the same. Like your body has a different idea of, of where homeostasis is and where it feels great at. And for me, that happens to be 30 pounds above stage weight. Yeah. And it, and it's a, it's a great body for regular living. It's not a great body for being on stage. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things that you have to be realistic with yourself too. Um, and to say, okay, like how important is my everyday life versus just me getting on stage. Right. So and it's all about weighing these pros and cons. Are you trying to be the athlete who wins the Olympia? Are you dedicating the next five years of your life to this? Or are you just like, hey, I want to do a show or two like and over a few seasons? Again, different conversations. It's all about all of these things that we've been talking about. Come back to being honest with yourself and your coach about your what you want to do. And as a coach, you have to be honest back with what that looks like. Somebody comes to me, I'm not going to sell them the dream and sell them anything that's fake not going to say, yeah, I can get you ready in eight weeks. And two weeks after the show, you're gonna be good to go. Just pay for a 12 week pack. That would be doing a huge disservice to this client. Um, and then that's creating way more problems from them for them versus saying, Hey, if you really want to do this, 
let's just, you know, you got to think about this like in the, in the next year, that still might not be enough and it might, you know, not be perfect, but that's at least better upfront information for them. And they're going to be able now to make their own decision to say, you know what, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe that, maybe I, I had this idea of the show and I thought I'd be able to do it in a different time frame. So thank you. Or they're like, no, that's what I want to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it, those are the ones you got to let go. <laughs> if that's what they're, if they have their mindset on a different thing, they're, they're kind of the ones that you have to say, okay, well, I'm not your coach for that. <laughs> and then that's okay. Yeah. But that, and um, that's, that's really hard, but it's, it's important. If, if that has one of your values as a coach have to be able to stick to that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you did kind of talk about body image there. That is such a hard part of this job is because people's image in their head of what women and what the female body should look like is not a normal image of what women look like. And so when people, Instagram, yeah. Yeah. So when people come to you with these goals, how do you tell them, Hey, we can, we can get you your best body in a healthy manner, but it's not probably going to look like the body that you have in your mind, because I feel like such a crusher of dreams when I have to be real with people on some of these things, because it's a hard place, but some people's bodies are just never going to look with that picture in their mind looks like, and I don't want to sell them a lie saying that it's going to look that way. Exactly. So that again is where the honesty comes in. And now you're not going to be like, Oh, um, Oh, Hey, you're never going to look like this person. Like, you know, you don't want to be like that either because that's because you really don't know. You, you don't know what the, this person could look like in the next X amount of years. Um, but oftentimes I just try to bring it back to, again, that reality. Okay. What is this photo? Is it somebody who's in a magazine? Is it somebody who's on Instagram? Is it, is it a competitor? Is it somebody who's, who's posing? Is it somebody who's just, you know, right. There's all these different things. It's like, listen, the people in these pictures don't even look at the people in these pictures. Um, and I know this because I'm somebody who knows how to post. I'm somebody who's seen a lot of these people in person. Um, before last year, there was tons of events happening at all times across the country. And I was going to a lot of them. And this is not a knock on anybody. This is just to say like what you are standing and posing in a certain lighting and a filter and doing all this. We all do it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if somebody is basing what I want to look like off of this, that's incorrect. The biggest one that I see is clients who are like, oh, I saw this person on stage. They look phenomenal. That's not what they look like in person. I can tell you wholeheartedly that what somebody looks like in a stage picture is not what they look like in person. I look like I am going to die in person. (laughs) Like literally, like I'm talking my head. I have a very big head. (laughs) Uh, I have a pretty big frame, but like in order to be stage lean, I got to be really lean, if that makes sense. So for me, like I look like a sunken in bobblehead. I got every line in my face. If I had a t-shirt on, you'd be like, you know, obviously I'm wearing a big t-shirt today, but like if I was wearing any kind of shirt, I would look like, oh my God, has Lauren eaten in like three months? Like, is she okay? Like you just look like your glutes don't even, don't even try to look at your glutes when you're prepping, right? It's sad. Now you put on a bikini, you hit that back pose. Look at my tie-ins. Look how great I look. Look at it. It's a totally different thing. So I just try to tell people like, listen, like whatever body that you're looking at, that might not either be realistic for you. That might not be your body type. If I, if I wanted to look at somebody, I have very, I have very straight up and down, I have wide waist, don't have big hips. I can look at people all day long who have a 20 inch waist and very curvy. I'm never going to look like that. I can appreciate their bodies and I can love their bodies. I will never <laughs> look like that unless I get surgery it's just not going to happen. Right. So a lot of times it's like, Hey, is this your body type? Are we looking at something that's unrealistic now? Can we certainly build your glutes, taper your waist, build your shoulders and your back? Hell yeah. We can create an hourglass shape. It might not look like this person though. So it's also about reframing like, okay, what is the context with what they're showing? How is this like, what, what is it that they like about this person? What can we do that they like? Again, if it's like the hourglass, well, we can build part of that. You know what I mean? Um, and then it's also about just kind of reframing like, all right, why are we doing this? Is it just because of this external factor or do you actually have this internal change? Because it's only based on, I want to have some kind of external goal. It's never going to, you're never going to stick with it on the hard days because you can put all the pictures you want hanging up in your fridge or, or whatever. But like at the end of the day, you have to want to change because of you and not because of somebody else. 
I love that. It's so much. Uh, so I don't want to keep you on here too long, but if there's one piece of advice that you could give to my listeners out there, whether it be mindset or diet or ways to achieve their goals, what is your, your favorite piece of advice to give people that they can run with? Oh, so I'm so bad at like, what's the one, you know, I, <laughs> as you can tell, I talk a lot. Um, one piece I would say is setting yourself up for long-term success. You have to bring everything back to that. That has to be your big goal, your big why, your big reason. And every decision that you make needs to be reflective of that. And that might mean in the short term, you are making, you are doing things that you don't necessarily like, but that does not mean that it's forever. And if the goal is, is to get to a certain place and you're not there yet, you're likely going to have to do things along the way that make you uncomfortable, that you don't want to do. This goes both ways, right? This goes for eating less, eating more, training more, training less, all these things, right? Doing things you don't necessarily like to do in order to reach that goal. And then eventually you will be able to maintain that goal a lot easier. But that process of starting to getting there is a lot harder so just understand that, okay, everything needs to relate back to my long-term goal. And then I would say that in the context of dieting, most people typically just don't lay down the right habits before they go into a diet. And like I said, you're not building good habits in a deficit. You're just kind of etching away what you already have. So really put yourself in a robust position before you ever think about dieting and you will have far more success just with that. I love it. Well, if my listeners want to come and find you, how do they do that? Yeah. So that would be awesome if they happen to want to do that. So our website is teamlocofit.com. So on there, we have all the information about us. We have articles we put out every week. We also put out two podcasts a week. That's called the Team Local Fit Roundtable. It's also on our website. Um, so two podcasts a week where it's very practical information with coaching and all of that. And my personal Instagram, which I'm terrible at posting on lately, uh, is at Lauren Conlin. And then the team one is just at Team Local Fit. So Go to the website, you'll find everything and you can contact us through there as well. Well, I love all the stuff that you brought to the table today. I think we could probably go on forever and ever, but we will maybe just make a part two instead someday and go from there. But I certainly appreciate you spending time with me today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope you guys got a lot out of this. Yay. I'm sure that they did. Thank you so much. Well, that wraps up my episode with Lauren. I sure hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you found value in this episode, if you could pretty please go leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are so very important to me. I know I sound like a broken record because I say this every podcast, but it's the truth. They are very valuable for us podcasters. We put a lot of time into making this podcast happen, and so... When we get reviews, it really helps us get listeners to our podcast so they can hear our message and we can get this stuff out there into the universe. So it's very important. Uh, if you have any other questions, visit me at www.connynightingale.com or on Instagram at Connie I would love to hear from you. I would love to get your questions, comments, feedback. I would just love to hear, uh, hey, I loved your episode with Lauren or whoever it may be. I found value in your podcast. All of those things are so awesome to hear. And I love helping people change their thoughts and their lives and their health. It's all super important to me. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so glad that you decided to spend an hour of your day with me. And I will talk to you next Monday.